you have your Bibles, turn with me again to Jude. A little one chapter book just before you get to Revelation. Let me just say for you, before we read this morning, before we get into the message, that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to save you this morning. He does. It's not His will that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. The only thing standing between you and Him this morning is you. If you need to be saved and want to be saved, He'll save you this morning. If you call upon His name, He promised He'd save you this morning. And I'm, I'm, I'm more and more convinced that there's a lot of false assurance in the church today that a lot of people are making a profession of faith but they do not possess a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm here, I'm here to tell you this morning, if Jesus Christ has come into your life in a real, authentic, personal way, He will change you. If you have not been changed by the presence of Christ in your life, you do not have the presence of Christ in your life. Now, I don't know how to say that any more clearly than that. But the devil would lie to you this morning and tell you that you're saved when you're not really saved. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, listen, Billy Graham, I heard him say the same thing, so I'm in good company. Easy believism. If you have had a head faith and not a heart transformation, if you have made mental assent to the deity of Christ, but refuse to submit yourself to his lordship, you don't have what it takes to have your life radically uh, transformed from the inside out or to get you to heaven. I'm not trying to make you question your salvation. My assurance came from his word, and by looking into this word and having the confirmation of the spirit, um, assure me that I have what I tell you I have this morning, and that's salvation full and free in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't have that, have you had an encounter with Christ that has changed your life? I, now, I used to think people must have got saved different than I did. Now I just think people didn't get saved. Amen. Oh, me. Read the scriptures and the Bible will tell you anybody that's in Christ Jesus is a new creature. That the old has passed away. And that everything has become new. Y'all know one day when he's through, when his work on earth is done, and when the new heaven and the new earth comes down, he's going to say um, that all of those old things are passed away and everything has been made new. You know where that work starts at? It starts in us. It starts in the soul of a man. And it'll be completed when all of creation is made new and we inherit this kingdom that he's prepared for us. But if you're not saved this morning, I want to tell you, this ain't a real evangelistic message, but I'm giving you your chance. There ain't nothing that stands between you and Jesus this morning but you and your own will. You've got to surrender to him. Now, I, I, do, I, I will admit that there are some times that, that Christians, who, people who have been authentically saved, will drift away and grow cold and indifferent and lukewarm. And, and let me tell you, the best thing that Satan can do um, for a person that's truly been born again is to make you completely ineffective in your witness for Christ. To make your impact in the world null and void. And he's trying his very best to do that. But you don't have to live in a backslidden condition. Sin don't have to have dominion over your life. You don't have to keep going back to the same things that you've gone to over and over again. You don't have to do that. The Bible tells me in Romans chapter 6 that he has set me free from the dominion of sin and set me free to live a life that honors and pleases him. And that is a witness for his glory. You don't have to live like that. 
And I believe as Christians, the Bible tells us that he has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. We don't have to live miserable. We don't have to live in anxiety. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in those things. It's not his will for us to live that way. It's his will for us to experience life and to have it abundantly so the world can see that we are the children of God. So whatever the message is this morning, you have your invitation right there. Come to Jesus. He's always the answer. He said, come unto me, all you laboring and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly, and you'll find rest for your souls. So we've been in Jude for several weeks now, and I think I'm going to have one more message in, in, uh, in the last two verses. <clears throat> I'm still chewing on them, pondering on them. But I've read these two verses every week that we've been in this study. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, the Apostle Paul told us that we are to do everything that we can to live at peace with all men. That we are to be a peace-loving and peace-seeking people. At the same time, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, that he didn't come to bring peace on the earth. He came not to bring peace but a sword. The only offensive weapon that we have in our warfare, we've been saying a lot about battles this morning. we got a lot of defensive um, uh, techniques, the, 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 the breastplate and the helmet of salvation and the shoes of the gospel of peace. and we, We've got all of those defensive elements, but this is the only offensive weapon that we have. This is our offense. And it will be offensive to those that are living in error. It's offensive to me when I'm living in error. So when Jesus said, I came not to send peace on the earth but, but a sword, what he meant was the, that sword of truth. When we begin to proclaim, when we begin to stand upon the truth of his word, it will bring division. And he said, I, what I came to do will set you at naught. It will set you against the people in your own household who are living in error. So even though we're supposed to be peace-loving, peace-seeking people, we're not supposed to do that at the expense of truth. And so I began this series, I'm calling it Contender. Contender. Um, but because there is a fight worth fighting. We are contenders for the faith that was once and for all time delivered to the saints. Now when you talk about the, the, the faith that was once and for all time delivered to the saints, it is the faith that is contained in the word of God for all of us to read. So when, you start, when, you're, when you're talking about contending for the faith, it is about contending for the inspiration, the inerrancy, the unchanging nature, that, that is immutability, the sufficiency and the authority of the word of God. That's what we're contending for. When we're contending for the faith, we're contending for the authority and sufficiency of God's word. That is the fight worth fighting. And what Jude said is that there are people that have crept into the church that are putting this word and its truth and its sufficiency it's a mute, they're attacking that truth. They've crept in unaware. And, and, and you call them ungodly people. That is, they have no reverence for or duty towards God. And, 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 and some of them are in the, uh, in the pulpits and others are in the pews. But anybody that is questioning, doubting, maligning, twisting the word of God is a threat to the kingdom's purpose on the earth. And Jude said they're, 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 they're in the church. They have crept in to the church. He gave us some identifying clues how we could recognize them. First, they deny God's authority to rule and reign over their life by the Spirit and the Word. Can I tell you that if you're a born-again, blood-bought child of God this morning, then, then God has authority. He has the right to rule 
over your life by His Word and by His Spirit. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit because they belong to God. God rules and reigns over our life as our sovereign Lord by His Spirit and by His Word. But there are those that will deny God that right to rule. They may call Jesus the Messiah. They may declare Him to be Lord like they did in Matthew chapter 7 and He'll say, I, I never knew you because you are workers of iniquity. You love lawlessness. Secondly, they abuse God's gift of grace. They turn it into a license of sin. They say, God can't rule my life. I'm going to live my life any way that I want to live my life because God's grace is sufficient to cover my sin. Anytime you make light of sin, you've made light of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So those are two identifying um, uh, characteristics of those that are, are creeping in uh, to the church. Sometimes that's hard to recognize because they will call Christ Lord and they will make much of grace. So, so, so Jude helped us out a little bit more by talking, by talking about their, their external operations. Um, this is how they manifest themselves in the midst of the church. They speak evil of spiritual authority. They are selfish self-willed and they are driven by their own senses they are sensual in that aspect and that they're driven by the things that they see hear feel and then they separate themselves the word is used in the text they separate themselves verse 19 I believe it is um, which means they bring divisions into the church because they reject the apostolic message and the apostolic messengers they separate themselves and bring those divisions. And the Bible, in fact, went so far as to say um, that they did not possess the Spirit. So, so that's all just kind of a, um, a review. But Jude has identified for us the problem. And he has identified for us the people who are busy propagating apostasy in the church. Trying to get other people to follow their lead and draw them away from the truth and so now he lays out our battle plans now he talks to us about the methods that we are to use that will keep that will keep ourselves safe that will help others keep from getting caught up in the error and will eventually uh, enable us to be the overcomers that Christ intends for us to be so look with me in Jude chapter 17 and I promise I'm going to go back to, to every one of these verses and walk you through them but Jude chapter uh, Jude, rather, verse number 17, there are no chapters but one, Jude 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted, by the flesh. So these verses are teaching us how to stand strong in the faith itself. 
Remember what he said, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. So these verses are teaching us now. He's already talked to us about the problem that exists. He's already told us about the people to watch out for. And now he's telling us, this is how I want you to contend for the faith. This is how you will stand strong in the faith itself and how you will ultimately be a help to others, come into the faith and remain in that faith. Now, I'm, I'm, this is just a little footnote, but two times in those verses, and you'll find this often in John's epistles, two times in these verses Jude referred to these people as beloved. And, and, and let me tell you something, Jude loved the church. Jesus loved the church. I love the church. That word means to be dearly loved. So Jude's writing to a group of people and said, I love you with all of my heart, but you've got to do this. I love you with everything in me, but you need to understand that there are people that are creeping in and they are, um, they are preaching heretical things and they are doing their very best to lead people astray. So in order for you to protect yourself and to protect those that follow you and to protect those that are not yet a part of the faith, you have to do this. I love you too much to tell you otherwise and the first thing that he told them to do was to remember remember um, if you think about what he's already talked to us about he's he's reminded us of what is written to us in the old testament you might say uh, in those verses he said remember what happened to israel remember what the prophets of old had said but now very specifically he says i want you to remember the apostles remember the apostles uh, remember who they are remember that they were chosen personally by the Lord Jesus Christ they were each called out individually they were appointed by him to bear his message he equipped them he gave them everything they need uh, to go out and do the same thing that he was doing into the world he sent them out they are literally the first generals of the Christian faith they are the leaders of faith's army in John chapter 13 verse 20 uh, he said this verily verily I say unto you Jesus said it he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me you hear what Jesus said he said whoever receives this these apostles whoever receives these that I have sent in my name receive me uh, and whosoever receives me receives him that sent me that is God the Father. Let me tell you something. Every child of God, every person that has ever been a, a blood-bought and born-again child of God has become that way because the, of the testimony, the record, the teaching of the prophet, of, of the apostles, those that, that Jesus called out and sent forth. And he said, if you hear their word and you receive their word uh, because I have given them my word and I have sent them with my word, when you receive their word, you've received me. So he's reminding them. He's like, I'm going to take you back to the apostles. Jude is not an apostle. He is a half-brother of Jesus. But he said, I want to point you to what the apostles, who they are, that they were sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. In the last prayer that Jesus prayed, the high priestly prayer, in John chapter 17, he said this about the apostles. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them unto the world. So the apostles are the ones who bore the message of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. They are the generals of the faith. They are the drill sergeants of the faith. Now why is that important? I, share, I told you last week, there's a whole group of Christians in the world today are people who profess to be Christians and who have infiltrated the church that tell us that all that we need to be 
um, concerned about are the words written in red. That we don't need to, and listen, I've, I've heard one guy go so far as to say um, that the Apostle Paul himself was a homophobe and that you don't have to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. That's half of the New Testament you can just tear out and throw away according to that preacher. Listen, Jude said, I'm going to remind you that the apostles were called personally by the Lord Jesus Christ. They were equipped personally by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were sent into the world with the truth that he gave them to sanctify the world through your truth. Whosoever receives them receives me. When you reject the word of the apostles, you've rejected the word of Christ that sent them into the world. It's important that you remember them. It's important that you remember who they are. And it's important that you remember what they said. See, the apostles not only gave us the truth, but they also warned us of those who would come and reject and pervert and twist that truth. That's what he said in verse 17 and 18. Don't remember that they were called, remember who they are, called and sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember what they said, how that they told you there would be mockers in the last time. So the apostles warned us about the day that Jude was living in and about the day that we're living in. That there would come, that there would be people in the midst of the church who would reject the truth of what the apostles proclaimed, of what Jesus proclaimed. We need to remember that. We need to remember that we've been warned. And he described them again as scoffers. That's those that mock the truth. Son, you don't believe the truth is being mocked today? You ain't paying attention to what's going on. It's being mocked at every corner. When, when you stand up and begin to make bold declarations of absolute truth, and I, I don't know why it is this way and, unless it is just simply the fact that human sexuality is such a powerful thing and such an incredible gift from God in the right context and Satan has twisted and perverted that and, and, and made it a device to trip people up. By the way, that's been going on from very, very early on in the history of mankind. It's been a problem from the beginning for God to, for Satan to take something that God has given us and pervert it and twist it into something that drags us away from God. You know what happened to Solomon? He got drug away from the wisdom of God because he loved many strange women. Look it up. But there are those that will scoff at a preacher today for preaching that sex is reserved for marriage between a man and a woman. There's a mockery of the word of God going on today. He called them scoffers. He said they're self-willed. They're driven by their own self-lust, by their own wishes, by their own whims, by their own want-tos. They're full of their self. They're separate, literally divisive, sensual, and spiritless. He said all of those things about them in those verses. And remember, I got to keep, there's another remember. These people call themselves Christians. Jude said they crept into the church. So I'm not, I'm not, listen, the world is lost. You know what the world's problem is? They need Jesus. But we talking about people who are in the church who say they have Jesus. Uh, and, and, and Jude made it clear they don't possess the Spirit of God. And the Bible says anybody that doesn't possess the Spirit of God doesn't belong to Christ. But they're in the church. Which means they've made a declaration of faith, 
which probably means that they've walked through the baptismal waters, but they're still part of the professing church. So we got to remember that these people call themselves Christians, but they are, they are in the church as traitors to the truth, doing everything they can to, to undermine the testimony and witness of the church and to trip up those that are trying to walk and follow Jesus and to prevent others from coming uh, into the true faith. I got to read this to you, Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul was about to leave behind the church at Ephesus. He had been there for three years. He said, I, hadn't, I, I have not shunned to declare to you everything I know about the counsel of God. He said in verse 28, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. And I believe he's talking to the elders in the church. Take heed to yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed, some translations say, to shepherd the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Then the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle Paul speaking here, Luke recording, said, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, Also of your own selves, shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So you understand what, I'm to, what, what Jude says? You need to remember that the Apostle Paul warned us about this. You need to remember that the Apostle Peter warns you about this. You need to remember that those that were called by God, equipped by God, and sent by God through the Lord Jesus Christ told you that this day was coming. Listen, we're living in it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says that the, that the the, the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Don't you let anybody tell you to disconnect yourself from the Old Testament like Andy Stanley has done. If you're an Andy Stanley fan, I'm sorry, but he's gone off the rails. He has told people repeatedly over the last three to four years, disconnect yourself from the Old Testament. You know what Jesus told people to do? Go back and read Moses. Go back and read the law. Go back and read the prophets because they are the, the scriptures that have pointed you to me. When people tell you to, to disconnect yourself from the prophets or the apostles, uh, the, 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 the bulk of the New Testament is not about the historical record of Christ. You've got four documents that tell us about, about Christ's birth, about his life, about his death, and about his resurrection. The rest of the New Testament makes application of that to our lives. Any, remember who they are. Remember what they said. Anybody that begins to deviate from the totality of scriptures, you need to mark them and don't have any fellowship with them because their intent is to lead you away from all truth. Then he said, that they need to raise up yourself. You need to raise up yourself. He said that in verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourself. 
remember, this is how we fight our battle. We got to remember the apostles, who they were and what they said. We got to raise ourselves up. We, we, the foundation of faith has been laid for us in the Lord Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, and the church is built on that. The prophets and the apostles have, have shown us how to build on that foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and we, need to, we need to grow up on that foundation. We need to become strong soldiers on that foundation. We need to perfect ourselves in, uh, in the love of God, in, in, in the grace and knowledge of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there are several things I'm going to point out to you that he said. Uh, the first is that we have to take personal responsibility for this. Build up yourselves. Nobody can do that for you. Listen, I got a responsibility that God has placed on my shoulders to feed the flock, to be the overseer of the flock, to shepherd the flock. But it is not my responsibility to grow you up. It's not my responsibility. I, I am to give you the word that will build you up and that will edify in your faith. But ultimately, if you're not growing, if you're not, if you're not building yourself up, that ain't on me. That's on you. Number one, I can preach the word of God all day long. I can preach it with power and authority and under the, uh, the, the inspiration and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But you've got to receive it. You gotta chew on it. You gotta digest it. You gotta apply it. You'll never grow up. You don't just be a hearer of the word. You can hear the word all day long and never respond to it in a way that'll build you up in the faith. So you gotta take personal responsibility. Nobody can do it for you. I can encourage you. I can support you. I can set the table before you, but you have to put forth some effort on your own. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul. Sarah, just put it up there. I'm not going to turn to it. The Apostle Paul was looking at a church that had a lot of mess going on in it. Um, it, it was in a wreck already. Um, it had been planted and the world had crept into it and perverted the, the testimony of the church, brought about um, uh, ungodliness and sinfulness. Some, some awful stuff was happening in the church at Corinth. And Paul wrote this letter to them and he said, I, I, I wanted to speak into you like like spiritual people I wanted to come and talk to you like you were mature um, but I had to come to you and talk to you instead like you were carnal even as babes in Christ the second verse uh, I have fed you with milk and not with meat for hitherto you were not able to bear it and neither yet now are you able I, I, I gave you all the milk that you needed and I wanted to feed you with meat but you're still not able and then verse 3 he said for you're still carnal there's envying, there's strife, there's divisions are you not carnal and walk as men Paul is rebuking them for the envy, strife and division and said that is evidence of your immaturity. It is evidence of your carnality. So can I just tell you this morning, it's time for us to stop being spiritual babies and build ourselves up. If you look at every passage of scripture in the Bible that talks about, that gives us a warning about falling away, it is preceded by and followed by Exhortations to grow up. To grow up. You want to prevent yourself from falling away? You want to prevent yourself from, from backsliding? You want to prevent yourself from getting caught up in the lies and deceptions of the enemy? Grow up. Take personal responsibility for your spiritual life and grow up. It's time to learn to feed yourself from the Word of God. 
It's time to grow yourself up spiritually. Which goes to the second thing. You build up yourselves on your most holy faith. We've already talked about this at the beginning. Your most holy faith is built and established on the word of God. It is in Christ Jesus, but this is the word. This is the written word. He's the word made flesh. But we, we know about Jesus. We learn of Jesus. Or we experience um, uh, his expectations for our life. Um, we're taught by him through the word of God. It thoroughly equips us to do everything that he has called us to do and be everything that he has called us to be. So, so when you have to take personal responsibility for your own personal edification or building up, which means th that you have to diligently read the word of God. You have to diligently study the word of God. You have to do your very best to understand the word of God so that you can apply the word of God. I am more convinced of this than I have ever been before, that we got a whole bunch of people that read the word but who never, ever, ever, Ever even try to make it apply to their lives personally. If you're going to personally build yourself up, you got to get in the book. Read the book, study the book, understand the book, apply the book. Peter's warning about scoffers in his, in his second epistle. His solution to keep them from falling from the steadfastness of their faith. Is in the last verse of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know how you're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior? By the studying of His Word and the application of His Word. And the more you study it, the more you understand it, and the more that you believe it, and the more that you apply it to, his life, to your life, the more you're going to know Him and the power of His resurrection in you and working through you. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want your faith to grow, you've got to get in the book. If, if, listen, if the only time you're being fed is Sunday morning, you ain't never going to grow up. If the only time you're being fed is when somebody, by the way, I want to tell you something. It's a, it, I know I say by the way a lot. <laughs> this is because I caught another rabbit running by. I can't help it when I see them. I got to chase them. It is dangerous to live your life letting other people feed you and not learn how to feed yourself. Because you, I tell you how you can know that I'm preaching the word when you've been in the word. Listen, if you, and I'm telling you, this is why the church is being led astray. This is why Christians are being led astray. They're listening to men's interpretation. They're not digging it out themselves. Uh, they're not searching the scriptures themselves. Listen, uh, that Berean church in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul had this to say about them. They, they heard the word, um, but they went back to the word and checked out the word. The Bereans searched the scriptures to see whether the things that Paul was preaching and teaching were accurate, and it was. you got to learn to personally build yourself up through the diligent study of the word. Then prayerful supplication. Uh, he said, not only building yourselves up on your most holy faith, but praying in the Holy Ghost. By the word God speaks to us. By prayerful supplications, we speak to God. 
Um, the word of God and prayer are the two legs that our faith stands on. If you want to have a strong faith, then it's got to be rooted and grounded in the word, and it's got to be rooted and grounded in prayer. Through God's word, God is communicating with you. Through prayer, you're communicating with God. And listen, some of our prayer requests need to be about our spiritual maturity and not about our, our, our physical want list. Heal this, give this, take that. We need, to, we need to spend some time asking the Lord to reveal himself to us through scriptures, to lead us and to guide us into all truth, to grow us up, uh, to help us to overcome specific and besetting sins in our life by prayerful supplication, by taking those two legs of our spiritual life, we can stand up and be strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know there's a lot of people that will take that praying in the Holy Ghost and interpret it different ways. And I'm not here to preach that, and I'm not here to discount what anybody says about praying in the Holy Ghost. But I can tell you, I believe what essentially that means is, is that we pray from a place in our heart and soul that has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that has been illuminated by the Holy Spirit, that has been filled with the Holy Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, with the Spirit, by the Spirit, we will always pray according to the will of God in our lives. He's in perfect harmony with the Father and with the Son. And so when the Holy Spirit is filling us, illuminating us, indwelling us, we will pray according to the will of God. And we know that when we pray according to His will, He gives us what we ask for. But Chris was talking to me the other day. He shared it with some of you I know on Facebook. And, 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 and he, said, he said, you know, I've been praying specifically for God to give me opportunities this year to be a witness and he was testifying about how God opens those doors. You know why? Because that's praying according to the will of God. He left us here to be a witness. So when you pray for opportunity, God will open that door for you. Now you still got to step through it. And if you're scared to step through it, there's the reason for that. It's probably because you've not personally edified yourself in the word of God enough to know how to lead people to Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away sometimes by the Christians who respond to somebody on Facebook that God is obviously working in their life and they're searching. Some of them are feeling low down about the sin that's in their life. That's a good place. It's a good place. Listen, that, the prodigal son didn't come, to, come back to the father's house until he realized he was in the pig pen. But I, it, it, it shocks me the number of Christians that will respond to people like this with all kind of feel-good theology. Let me tell you how to respond to somebody that's in that place. Give them the word. The Bible said we were born again by an incorruptible seed. And that incorruptible seed is the word of God. It ain't about self-help. It's about God's help. It ain't about our word. It's about His word. We need to learn to give people the word. Pray for opportunities to use that word in their life. Persistent obedience. Now, I know this is hard to see, but I'm going to help you see it. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, that ain't a works-based salvation. Keeping yourself in the love of God is not a works-based salvation. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Peter said, We are kept by the power of God through faith. Listen to me. The evidence of faith and love is that we walk in obedience to Him. The evidence of faith and love is that we walk in obedience to Him. Keep yourself. Be secure. Know who you are in the love of Christ. How do you do that? By walking in obedience to Him. John chapter 15, verse number 10. 
out of the lips of Jesus himself. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How can you get assurance of your salvation? How can you know that you're kept in the love of God? By walking in his will. When you start walking outside of his will, you're going to lose your joy. You're going to lose your peace. You're going to lose your assurance. You're going to begin to question whether he loves you. You're going to begin to question whether you love him. You want to keep yourself in the love of God? Walk in his word. Apply his word. Do his will. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God. This is how we express our love for God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. The last part of that raise up that he gave us there is patient expectation. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I'm going to tell you what I think that means. I think that means that we're always looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to return with mercy. And life eternal. I believe I can prove this from the scriptures over and over again. That the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ has been a source of motivation for a whole lot of people. Over a long period of time. To keep fighting the fight. And to finish the course. I I, I could show you every writer in the New Testament went to that theme. And said, he's coming back. Amen. He's coming back. He's coming back. Really. Literally. Actually. He's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to judge the world of its, for its sin. He's going to establish once and for all time his eternal kingdom. Being expectant of that every day of our life has a way of motivating us and holding us accountable like nothing else does. He's coming back. John said, I want you to do this. I want you to live this way, act this way, believe this way, so that when he comes, you won't be ashamed at his coming. Titus chapter 2 verse 13, the Apostle Paul said we need to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, remember and raise up. Remember and raise up. That's what's going to protect us. That's what's going to empower us to stand steadfast. And even in the middle of all this chaos and confusion and scripture twisting and, and, and apostasy that's happening all around us, this is what's going to protect us. This is what's going to establish us and keep us. But then there's that last purpose. And that is that we're to rescue perishing I truly believe with all of my heart 
that the only reason Christians are not taken to heaven the moment that we get saved is because we have a mission to rescue the lost. We have a, we, we have a mission to help each other make it to heaven. Um, I thought about when I was preparing this, I thought about how soldiers, soldiers have each other's back, don't they? Good soldiers have each other's back. They help each other. Good soldiers are also looking out for the innocent. Good soldiers will identify the people that are not a threat to them, but that are innocent bystanders in this war, and they'll do what they can to protect the innocent. Some of my favorite stories, I shared this with you last week at the close of the message. Some of my favorite stories are reading about those soldiers um, that got the enemy backed up in a corner and had mercy and compassion on them and had them lay down their arms and how they led those, those enemies to become their, 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 their friends. You know that one of the, this is, this is one of those things that it's hard for us to imagine. One of the greatest friends of the United States of America now is, is the nation of Japan. They were one time our arch enemy. Now they have become one of our, one of our staunchest allies. So soldiers are there for each other. They're there for the innocent and, and, a, and a good soldier will give opportunity for the enemy. Switch camps. I don't want to be your enemy. I don't want to take your life. I don't want to destroy you. I want you to come on over. So three, three things. You get different translations of the Bible, you can see some of these a little bit more clearly, but, and, and I'm honestly not sure about the third category that I've heard some of them read, but, I, but I, I do agree in principle with it. But Rescuing the perishing means that we have compassion for those that are confused. There are some believers who have been deceived they have they were they were immature maybe they were carnal maybe they were not feeding themselves and they have been swept up in the confusion and they truly love Jesus and they trust Jesus but they're confused by all these conflicting doctrines that have been presented to them the apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 one of the reasons he wanted them to grow up is so they wouldn't be tossed about by every wind of doctrine I want to tell you something there's baby Christians out there that have gotten caught up in the confusion and they have been swept away by conflicting it sounds good it sounds like it ought to be true maybe it is true and they've been carried away we need to have compassion for those people Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, If any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I believe y'all read this in Sunday school this morning. Verse 24, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient uh, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. We need to have compassion for those that are confused about the truth. Secondly, we need to have an urgency for the unsaved. Of some have compassion making a difference. Those are the confused. 
Others, he said, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. There needs to be an urgency in our life for those people that are unsaved uh, in fear for their eternal destiny, doing everything that we can to snatch them back, literally, from the pit of hell. Listen, God sees this world as saved and lost. The lost people of this world are not our enemies. They are our mission field. The real enemies of the church are the enemies that are in the church, not outside it. The world's acting like the world. They always going to act like the world. And we need to have an urgency to present to them the gospel. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, that day of judgment, that day that's coming, when men will stand before him and give an account of their lives, and when those that don't know him will be cast into the lake of fire. He said, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It is our responsibility to offer the lost world a way of escape. If it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. If, if the Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, then neither should we. And then last but not least, there's something. And you can look it up in, in, in the original languages and see this a little bit more clearly. But that other save with fear pulling them out of the fire is probably a witness to the lost. But then there's another side of that, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I'm going to call it this and then try to explain to you what I mean. Cautious mercy for those who are mercilessly corrupt. Now let me explain it like this. Y'all know who the Apostle Paul was before he became the Apostle Paul. Man, he was killing Christians. He was dragging them out of their houses left and right. Um, not that we have a record that he ever killed one personally, but he called himself a persecutor of the church and a blasphemer to the cheapest of sinners. So when he had that encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus that blinded him, he sent him to a man named Ananias. And God prepared the heart of Ananias before the Apostle Paul came. But when Ananias found out he was coming, he said, wait a minute, Lord. Mm, do you know what he's been doing? And, and, and God said, I, I, I do. But he's a chosen vessel for me. Ananias was right to be cautious about meeting with Paul. And, and, and he only met with him after God gave him confirmation that he was working in his heart and life. So, so here's what I mean by that. Befriending people who have heretical views of the scripture is dangerous. It's dangerous. There are some very persuasive people in this world. And you engaging yourself in fellowship with them, and I know sometimes we do it for the sake of trying to win them, and that's good. Cautious mercy 
for the merciless corrupt. Um, listen, there's, I have people right now trying to play me. They're, 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 they're trying to pull me into relationship and fellowship with them, and their views of the Scripture and mine are on opposite ends of the spectrum. So that's where the Bible tells me that I have to be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. That when you deal with these people, you have to be careful because you can get sucked into the deception. So if you're going to be a witness to folks like that, then approach them with caution. Always go back to God's word as your rule. Not people's interpretation of God's word, but God's word as your rule. This is a hard scripture for us to hear and understand, but Matthew chapter 7 verse 6 says this, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. When people are attacking me about what I believe about God's word, I just back off. I, don't, I can't force feed you his truth. And if you're just going to take God's word and try to use it to tear me apart, then I don't need to give you that until God has dealt with you about that. Listen, I'm, I, I'm, I know that I have been long again. <laughs> if it's not abundantly clear to you already, we're on a battlefield, my friends. Whether you believe that or not, you, you, we are on a battlefield. And it is a battle of light and darkness. It is a battle of good and evil. It is a battle of life and death. It is a battle of heaven and hell. And we're living in the middle of that. God's laid out the plan. And, and, and he didn't tell us to hide in the trenches and wait for him to come. He didn't. He told us to contend for it. He also didn't tell us to come out of the trenches being a superhero with guns a-blazing. He said we got to protect ourselves first. We got to remember who our generals are. We got to raise up ourselves to be good soldiers. And we can't ever forget our primary purpose is to rescue anybody that can be rescued, even when that seems impossible. If you don't do all three of those well, you can get caught up in the enemy's plan to kill, steal, and destroy. Do you hear me? If you don't do all three of those well, you'll get, you can easily get caught up in the enemy's plan to kill, steal, and destroy. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm done with this, but if you, if you do not do these well, there is a very good chance you're going to lose some people that you love with all your heart. Quite possibly your children. It's your job to pass along them a heritage of faith. It's your job to teach them the scriptures with your lips and with your life. It's your job to establish them in the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now I'm telling you this because I love you. I'm telling you this because Jude loved you. I'm telling you this because Jesus loved you.
All I'm doing is sounding the warning and calling you to the battle. Let's stand together. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I've done my very best this morning to preach it just as you have given it to us. I'm grateful that these people have had the patience and the attention. Now I pray that you'd make your word come alive in each of us. It's one thing to hear it with our ear, but it's another to hear it with an understanding heart and with a faith that moves us to action. And help us this morning to do that, to believe it, and to apply it. And Lord, again, I extend an invitation, the same one that I did at the beginning of this service. There's nobody that has to leave this room, this building this morning lost. Because your word says it's not your will that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Because your word says that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart God is raised from the dead, that we will be saved. Because your word said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To the lost, your spirit and your words say, come. Lord, to those that are not prepared and are not engaged for the battle that we're in right now, I pray that today would be a day of revival in their lives personally. That you call them to lead their homes and their families. In some ways, I believe that our kids are already calling us to engage in a battle that they have to fight every day at school where everything they believe is being challenged. And in many ways, I think they're better soldiers than we are. Have your will and your way during this invitation. Do your work and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. This is my.
This is the 